This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. stand together. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. Um, and this, um, this uh, week is going to be uh, our last time this summer of uh, Wayne and I preaching together. Uh, it was fun this summer. I had a good time, man. Next week it will be free, freeing to preach by myself though. You know what I mean? You're, you're a ball and chain to me sometimes, you know. I just want, just kidding. Um <laughs> Man, man, you need to start. You need to start holding me back, bro. Ephesians chapter five, verses one through four. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Y'all got quiet on this one today. Y'all got quiet on this one today. Y'all were just joking before you came in, you know. Uh, at the preaching collective, uh, we were, I was joking around, and then we walked in to study this, and I was like, sorry, everybody, that was my fault, man. <laughs> so I know how it feels. Um, there, is a, there is a reality to all that we have been studying over these last, um, these last this last year, actually, but this summer specifically, as we've been diving into what is this that is about unity. Here's what I, I want you to, to, to understand this. When, when Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And everybody started throwing out things. Here's who they say you are. You're a good teacher. You're, you're this, you're that. And then he goes, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And then only one person speaks up, Peter. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's what he said to him. He didn't say, man, that's deep, that's, that's deep, man. He said, it's my father who showed you that. You couldn't have come up with that on your own, right? My father revealed that to you. You see, there's a difference between revelation and something that you come up with. So when we talk about how we see God, often we can see him not as he wants to be seen. So we're like, this is how I see him. This is what I think about him. This is what I mean. We sit around in our groups and we kind of talk about how I see God. And that's, that's one thing that we could talk about. But the reality is, is how is he revealing himself? Throughout scripture, he's revealed himself primarily as father. There's other revelations and names that, that have been seen of who God is, but his primary revelation that you can see is Father and his relationship to Jesus is Son. And, and, and that inside of the Godhead, it's a family relationship as you see their spirit being sent forth to call all children, to bring all children that were marked by his spirit. We can talk about how we see the church, and most of the time it's going to be twisted. 
we've come up, well, I think the church should be a hospital. I think the church should be this. I think the church should be this. And they're not living up to what I think they should be. (laughs) Those aren't revelations. Those are your thoughts on what it should be. The church is the family of God. The primary revelation of the church is family. That's why we're to be called children of God, brothers and sisters. We're brought into this family. And until we see this primary revelation, we won't understand why it's so important to God, who is the Father, for his people to be united. Because every good father wants their family to be united. One of my professors said this, the burning question of all the New Testament writings is the unity of Jew and Gentiles. I stopped him. I said, man, you can't just run by that. I want to know, is that still the burning question? Because I believe as we continue to talk about the unity of the church, we are hitting on the heartbeat of the Father. That's why many of us will, no, we shouldn't talk about this so much. We shouldn't go into this. There's other important things. Just don't, don't talk about our relationships because it starts to get really, really messy. And the beginning of this reality is Paul saying this. If you're going to believe all this gospel that the Father is bringing all things together, everything we covered in chapter 1 and everything in chapter 2 that God is reconciling all things back to himself and everything that's been separated because of sin is now being united. God is bringing about unity that sin has separated. If you believe that, then you need to do all that you can to strive to live in unity. That word strive gives us a hint. You don't wander into unity. You wander into sin. You don't just kind of show up and go, whoops, I'm united with these people. You strive. You strive, and then Paul spends a significant amount of time talking about what it means to strive into unity. Because when we are striving in unity, what we are doing is imitating, as verse, chapter, as verse 1 says, we're imitating the Father. Yes, yes, yes. What do children do? How do they learn? They imitate. They imitate what their father does. Because here's what I want you to see. From the beginning of time, when God created all things, the first thing he creates is family. Because family is the place in which covenant takes place, and out of covenant comes reproduction, and through reproduction comes this growing and maturity. And in family is where people mature, and in family is where things are, are, are covenantal and where, uh, where babies are born and all these kinds of reality. Family is this, and when God created the church, what he was showing is his commitment to his primary. Like if people are going to be born into the kingdom, and if people are going to grow into maturity, it's not going to be done through a business or an institution. It's going to be done through a family. That's where it's going to happen. It's going to be done in that Environment. We're not going to grow outside of the family of God. We need the family. 
And we're imitating the Father every time we continue to live into this because he says this in verse 1. Remember, we just looked at this. Look back there with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as what? Are you reading with me? Beloved children. I want you to hear this. You are loved. You're loved. Listen, you're not an accident. You didn't just show up in the family of God. You've been chosen. You've been brought into the family. You've been chosen as a child. You are loved. It didn't just go, oh, well, they're around here. We might as well start feeding them. You know what I mean? You're not an accident. God wants us to see that as our father, you didn't accidentally show up into his family. Matter of fact, you wouldn't have wandered into it. You had to be rescued and brought in and adopted. He chose you and he brought you in. And here's the reason why, church, because he loves you. He loves you. And when we believe this, we walk in love. Now, many of us talk about, well, you know, I don't know how to love people because I've never been loved. And I don't know how to be in a family because I was never in a good family. I've been in a jacked up family. How many of you can say amen to that? That was the loudest amen I've gotten all year long. Got a jacked amen, jacked up family. Y'all never amen me. And then all of a sudden I say jacked up family and you're in it. Here's the reality of a family. The reality of family is it's, it's about us being loved and being brought in as his children that we would imitate him. And here is what it means to be in this family. The reality is we are brought into a family where we are loved. And many of us say we've had jacked up families. We don't know what it means to love and all these kinds of things. And, and I, just want, I just want you to, to hear this. That would be true if you didn't have Jesus. That would be true if you didn't have Jesus. Because once you have Jesus, and once you have God as your father, and you have this brother, you have now the only example of true love. So you can't say, I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. Because you have fully and truly experienced it. No matter how good of a father I am, I still need my children to know the true and better father. And no matter how good of a father I am, once they meet the true father, I'm going to look jacked up. Because he's, he makes me look like I don't even know what I'm doing, Right? And every part of us needs to experience what it is to be known and loved by the true Father because we are never going to be able to walk in love as long as we keep making this excuse. I haven't seen it somewhere else. Church, you lost that excuse when you became a part of his family. You have seen it. The only place you can see it. Fully and truly. You've seen it in Christ. And this is how you've seen it. Imitate Christ. Walk in love as a fragrant offering because here's what love looks like. The giving of love is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, meaning the nature of love is these words, giving and sacrifice. Man, I, I love this 
the family, right? As God brings this, his family together, and he's like, he's the good, loving father, right? And like Paul is talking to them, right? Because he has this relationship with the father, and then as a pastor, he, he has a father heart over the family. So just like any any good father, when you see the family wilding out, when you see the family going astray, you bring the family together, and you say, this is, this, that's not how the family act. This is not what we do here, right? And you set these, this, this example of what this family is all about because you want them to understand, like, you represent my name here. You, this is the family name, and you bring the family together. And, he, and, and three, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness will not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So he's like, when people are describing who you are, when he's talking about our family, when people are describing who you are, these things shouldn't even be named in the description. Get this, get this. I want you to understand what's happening here. He's talking to them. See, Ephesians, they, they, they were known for sexual immorality. The Ephesians were known for sexual immorality. They had the, the temple of Diana there or Artemis there. And, 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 and sexual immorality was a part of the temple worship and it shaped the culture of Ephesus. So it was all over the place because it started to, to shape the culture of the community. So sexual immorality was all over the place. Like a little bit like here, right? Probably not a little bit, right? All over the place. It was everywhere. And it was shaping and, 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 and doing everything there. And Paul is saying, listen, you're no longer a part of that. You're no longer a part of that. And they're being brought into the family. Here's what we got to get here, right? You see, since we were created to worship, we are known for what we worship. Right. Understand this. Since we are created to worship, we are known for what we worship. The question is, what are you known for? As people look at you and they look at you from afar and uh, the things you do and how you carry on your, your life, all of these are reflections of uh, what you worship, how you do it, when you do it, the directions that they go. And so when people are looking at you, what are you known for? Because that's what will tell what you worship. And he's talking to them. He wants you to understand this is what it is as he brings them in. And I could spend all day just talking about here's the do's and the don'ts about sexual immorality. But the main point here is that sexual immorality stems from idol worship. It's idol worship that leads to this. Whether that idol is self or whatever it is, right? That's what's, what's doing this. So he uses this word here, covetousness. In some translations, it says greed. Now, I want you to get this, right? The reason why this is applicable here is that 
Once you've been brought into the family, once you've been brought into Christ, you have been given all that is yours in him. Everything, everything has been given to you on the front end. It's all been given to you. But you want what's not yours. It's called covetousness. You want what's, what's not yours. It's like Adam and Eve inside of the garden. It's like all of this is yours. That over there is not. That one thing right there is not. But all of this is yours. And they're like, but I want that. That's what I want right here. You see, why do you want what's not yours? Why do you want what's not yours? It's because of this dissatisfaction. Inside of the heart, there is this, this dissatisfaction. And the dissatisfaction isn't from a lack. Because you've been given everything that is yours inside of Christ. Everything that is yours. This dissatisfaction this, this, this is from greed. I want more. I want more. I know I've been given that. But I want that too. It doesn't make a difference if it's mine or if it's not. And I'm not trusting the Father who says everything that is good I've given to you. But I want this and I'm going to trust myself. So I'm dissatisfied, and, and, and this dissatisfaction shapes your life. You become known for what you worship because what you worship shapes everything that you do. And he's talking to them like a father, and he says, listen, that's not indicative of the saints, right? You've been brought in, and, and this is not what's proper for those that's been brought in into the family. There's, there's going to be a change here. You're no longer worshipers of, is, is inside of this world and shaped by culture. Instead, you're worshipers of the kingdom of God. And now that shapes everything that you do, and you become known for how I worship God and when I talk to my wife. How I worship God and how I raise my family. How I worship God and in, in, in the work that I do. And people look at it and they're like, what is so? And they see the worship inside of you. That's what you become known for. Right. I think we, Wayne and I wanted to spend a minute to kind of hopefully not just preach this text, but be able to talk to y'all as our family. Come on. Y'all ready for that? Y'all are quiet today. You're like, he's talking to me. I, I can already feel it. And I am, every one of you. I remember sitting in a, this was back in the day when your mom jokes were like, were, were, were something, right? Now it's like everybody says your mom, right? Like back in the day when it was first coming out, I remember sitting, we were all joking. Group, group of guys joking around and one dude says a your mom joke. And all of a sudden, it went from just sexual joking to talking about his family. And it, be, it almost went to blows, right? Why is it that a man who is filled with lust and perversion, dehumanizing women, once he has a kid, maybe a daughter, he becomes so worried that his daughter will be treated like he treated women. And all of a sudden, it's inappropriate because it's his family. Verse 4, 
has so much to do with this idea because he uses this word of this kind of talk and this kind of behavior is out of place. Why is it out of place? Because lust doesn't build the family. Lust is out of place when we talk about family. You see, what a sexualized society has done is it's redefined the word love. We use the word love when it actually means lust. We call it love. And not only in this society have we redefined love, but in a sexualized society, not only the word love has been redefined, but humanity itself has become a people who are defined by their sexual desires. We've begun to define ourselves and, can, and feel like we can't even be known unless our sexual desires are known. You see, sexualization changes relationships. It tears apart the fabric of a family. Once a relationship is sexualized outside of the context of covenant, everything we do changes. We can't even see each other the same. I'll tell you, there's a lot of single men and women who can't even build a healthy relationship because every time they talk to somebody who else is single, mm -hmm. they can't help but think, is that the one? Their whole relationships are built upon the sexualization of the other person. They can't even build a healthy relationship because they don't see the other as family. They see him as an object for their gratification. You see, once we see each other as family, lust doesn't have a place. Because anybody, even 1 Corinthians, Paul is rebuking the church of Corinth. And he said, listen, y'all are doing some freaky stuff. This is my translation. Said, y'all are doing some freaky stuff. Even freakier than the freaks in the world is what he basically says, right? Y'all are sleeping with your family members, right? And he goes, even in the world, they're like, ooh, that is that's not good, right? And he's saying that's happening in the church. Not even, even outsiders would say that's wrong. Because in the family context, even those who understand family understands mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't take advantage of family like that. Mm -hmm. Especially for those who have been sexually abused and those who have had family members who have treated them in such horrific ways that have totally destroyed the fabric of any sort of understanding right. that they could have of family. His family has sexualized it. What he's saying inside of this is when we turn into lust and self-gratification, we destroy the very fabric of the unity of the family in which the father has so 
paid the highest price. And what we end up doing is looking at someone who we're supposed to love. When I say love, you remember this. Give and sacrifice for. And we're looking at them as an object for my desires to be fulfilled and for sexual gratification. And I want what they have and everything around me. And, and we wonder why the church can't be a family. It's because if, if there's anything that the world looks at us, I'm talking about the big C church, right? They look at us and they go, you're doing some freaky stuff in that family. You got preachers who are taking advantage of their flock. You have brothers and sisters who are going to churches to just try to find an object of sexual affection. They're, 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 and then we go, well, I don't, I don't want to be a part of the church. It's, all, it's, all, it's filled with lust. And Paul's saying, don't even... Don't even let it, because if, if we really see family, don't even let that, that lust, yeah, yeah. define us. Yeah. It's not proper. It's out of place. And when we start seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as family, we'll start to see how improper that is. Yeah. I love the, the wisdom that Paul has here, right? as he's talking to the family and he's bringing the family in and, he, and, and he's telling them, man, don't be, don't be known for this, right? Don't be known for, 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 for this idol worship that leads to this sexual immorality. Don't be known for worship that's not connected to, to God. He said that it's out of place. Out of place for your new identity. You've been brought out and then brought out. In and you're inside of this family, and, and 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 you have this new identity as saints, as worshipers of the Most High God, and you've been given this undeserved grace. And he knows that that all of this flows out of this 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 sense of man. God has given you all of this. Instead of that, yeah. it says. Be thankful. Come on. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. He's giving this, and he says, This is what should be our mode. Yeah. This is where this, 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 this greed, this I gotta keep going, even if I pervert it in order to keep filling myself. I gotta keep doing that. It comes out of this greed, and he says, You're not thankful. Yeah. God has given you so much. If you're going to be known for anything as the people of God, be known as a people that are thankful. Be known as a people that are so thankful for the things that God has given to them, that they cherish it, that they love it, that they lift it up as worship unto God because they are thankful. And people that are looking in, they're saying, wow, those people are so thankful. But that's not what 
most of the time people see. They see a dissatisfied people. They see a people that's always looking for something else. And they're going everywhere else to try to find everything that they want when God has given them everything. And what you communicate to the world is that he himself is not enough. So keep searching. And they keep searching. And God is calling us in to be a people that are marked by our thankfulness. Even as he goes and he brings these Jews in, those that receive Christ, he brings them into a culture of thankfulness. And then he brings these Gentiles in, and he brings them into a culture of thankfulness. Where thankfulness is seen throughout the entire group of people. So Paul is like, yo, let this be seen instead of people that are so thankful for what they've been given to God that is used to worship him and others can see it and be drawn in. Come on. Church, I, I hope that you hear today that the root of all of this sexual perversion and the root of all of this covetousness and greed where we just want more and more, that this is the the root of all of this is because we don't know what it's like to be satisfied. Church, I, I can tell you this. We live in a society that promotes living unsatisfied lives. You never feel like you have enough. You just got to get on that grind. You got to go at it. Yes. You got to get more, yes. get yours, yes. get after it. Yes. And we promote that, and we idolize that, and we live in this place. And the the, the reality is, when you think of a real relationship, real covenantal relationship, you know what it's like to be discouraged inside of a relationship where you're doing all that you can to give all of yourself, and every time they want more. You've tried to please them. You've tried to take care of them. You've even done things you're uncomfortable with. You've done everything you can to go, if they would just do this, and he's told you or she told you, if you just do this, you would, you'll take care of me, and, and you're, you're living in this, and you want, your, you want your, your desires filled, and they want their desires filled, and, and you're constantly feeling discouraged because no matter how much I give, I cannot satisfy them. You'll never be enough. Because that dissatisfaction runs so much deeper and that relationship that I'm talking about is between Christ and the church. He has given so much and his bride continues to tell him, I'm not satisfied. You see, thankfulness is a weapon, not a feeling. It's a weapon, not a feeling. You see, these feelings that we described or these desires that we described are, are, are affections that are in our heart towards other things. And this weapon that he says that we use of thankfulness is a weapon against our discontentment. And here's what we have to understand about discontentment. We, as God's people, are constantly looking at something else that we would rather have or rather be. This runs so deep, church. 
That we would look at the creator and, 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 and it goes so deep that we would look at the creator who made us in a certain way and say, I want to be something else. I don't like that I'm a man. I want to be a woman. I don't like that I'm a woman. I want to be a man. I don't like that I'm this color. I don't like that I'm in from this place. I don't like that I'm from this background. I don't like that. This. God, how could you make me this way? And we strive to be something else other than being thankful for how he created us and who he created us to be. A couple claps this morning, right? It's all good. Just listen. I'm unhappy that I'm married, so I want to be single. I'm unhappy that I'm single, so I want to be married. I'm unhappy with this job, so I, I want another job. I, I'm unhappy with, with, with working too much, so I just want to lay around. I'm unhappy laying around, so I just want to get, get to work. I, I, I got all of this. If I could just do this, I would be happy. And so we're constantly looking for the next thing, and we're changing all of these things. But the reality is change is not the answer, church. Thankfulness is the answer. Thankfulness is the answer. I know you don't want to hear this this morning. But Romans chapter 1 says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor did they give thanks to Him. But they thought in the futility of their flesh, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made that looked like mortal humans and, being, and birds of the air and animals. Therefore, they gave themselves over. Or therefore, God gave them over. Listen to this. This is, this is what the curse of sin is is God saying, fine, you want those things, I'll give you them. It's when he doesn't give you things that you're blessed. It's when he gives you to the things that you want that you realize that I'm cursed. God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Was this women exchanging their natural sexual relations to unnatural ones. In the same way, they unbounded their natural relationships with women inflamed with lust and men committing shameful acts with other men, receiving themselves the due penalty. Furthermore, just as, as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to their depraved minds and they, they ought to be done. They became futile and kind and in every kind of weakness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander. God haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invented ways of doing evil. I like, he just said, I can't list them all. They just started coming up with ways. Here's another one. They disobeyed their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, death, they continued to do these things. The root of all of that list of sin is rooted in this. They wouldn't glorify him and give thanks to him. Church, I'm going to tell you, you could talk all day about how unsatisfied you are and how you don't like who you are and, and what things it is. And the reality is, is you could change that and still not like yourself. You need to look at the one who created you and begin to thank him for how he created you, who he created you to be, all the things that he has gifted you with, all the things he's placed in your life, all the things he's done for you in Christ, and, and this becomes a weapon. That's why the psalmist says, 
Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? He wasn't feeling it. Why are you downcast? What does he say? Bless the Lord, all oh my soul. Worship him. Give thanks to him. Praise him. We need to pick up this weapon of thanksgiving and begin to go at war against our discontentment, against our greed, against our sexual immorality. We need to go at war against all the things that we that, that, that are, are, are infecting our hearts and desires, and we need to begin to steer our affections towards him by lifting him up and praising his holy name. You know what? Let's, let's not even, let's, let's practice it now. Right, as we get ready go, to go into a time of communion, let's practice this now. Like, like linger a bit and ponder the things that you should be thankful for. Because listen, God has blessed you with so much. And I don't care what the situation that you're in. He has blessed you with so much things that you are just looking over. And saying... I don't got this. I don't got that. And he says, be thankful because it'll take you down a perilous path. So linger a bit. Think about these things I need to be thankful for. Small things, large things. Write them down. Put them inside your, your head, your heart, your mind. Spend some time thanking God. And as you come up and you break bread, you take communion here is another thing to be thankful for, that God would, would give himself and send his son to be given for you. And every single good thing that you are thankful for is connected in this eternity that he brings you into with his family. So the bread represents his body given for you and the juice is blood that flows for you, given and given and given for you and we take it in thanksgiving, and then let's spend some time thanking God, worshiping him as a family. Together, the tables are open. Let's be thankful together, saints. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.